Happy Easter, everybody. How we doing? Glad you braved the, the rain to get to church this morning on Easter Sunday. And, uh, you know, the wonderful thing about Easter is that it is like our day. It is the day that we celebrate probably more than normal, the resurrection of Jesus, how he died and then he walked out of a grave. I mean, he came alive again. That's a big deal to be dead and then to come alive. And he did that for us. And so we celebrate that. I, I just, but I know this, there's sometimes in December that we're singing about the resurrection. There's sometimes in, you know, in January that we just praise in God for the cross. And so uh, though it's a day that we celebrate God, we gotta focus in on this thing. We believe in the resurrection every day of the year. How about you? And so we're excited about it. Uh, think about the cost uh, that Jesus had to pay in order to gain the dividends of our salvation and then ultimately our resurrection. It's just amazing when you think about it. Matter of fact, the, the, the Christ's resurrection is so phenomenal. Everything that he did when you think about it. Now, before I share what I'm sharing this, in this part of this message, I wanna, I wanna let you know that it pleased the Father to bruise Jesus. And so from that aspect, it's a very, very positive thing. Although the cross itself was a place of suffering, I mean, when you take a man and you strip him down and you beat him, you beat him good and then you hang him on a cross, it's a cruel, despicable way to end somebody's life. It's, it was an execution, actually. And I think about modern day right now that if we took a man and brought him down an alleyway in a dirty city somewhere in America and behind a dumpster, we nailed him to a cross on a wall. And then we brought the successful people of this nation uh, down into that city, into that alleyway and around that dumpster in that garbage in that filth and pointed to a naked man beat to shreds, hanging on a cross and telling them, this is your hope for all of eternity. I'm not sure how many people would understand that, but that's what God chose for us to see salvation. Jesus on the cross, beaten, bloodied, innocent, but yet crucified for us, died completely. I mean, he was dead, he wasn't swooned, he wasn't passed out, dead, placed in a borrowed tomb for three days, and then instantly, by the power of heaven, he is resurrected from the dead and walks right out of the tomb. I'd say that God robbed the tomb that day, wouldn't you? It's so wonderful to see that Jesus uh, had complete victory for us in his resurrection. You see, if it was just the cross, if we only have Jesus for this life, these few years on earth, then we're miserable people. The resurrection is what paid for eternity. And so the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in every person who believes in Christ, who totally surrenders their life to him with the guarantee of one day of resurrection. I, there's, there's a verse of scripture in Luke 24 that I, just, I really just love so much. Jesus has been crucified. He's been laid in the tomb. A big stone has been rolled over the front of that tomb. And the women finally come early in the morning to, uh, they're gonna anoint the body with oil. In other words, they're gonna kind of cover it with spices and, and sweet smelling things. And so they, they, they came to the tomb 
and they go inside, the stone is rolled away, and they look and they can't find the body of Jesus. So in that fifth verse, it says, the women were terrified and they bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, and these two men were angels, the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? I just love that, man. You know, they were so matter of fact. What are you doing in a tomb if you're looking for somebody who's alive? I mean, heaven had already settled the resurrection. And, and then they, they tell them, he isn't here. He has risen from the dead. I love that. The way we would put it, he ain't here no more. He's gone. <laughs> he's not here anymore. He's risen from the dead. And the resurrection, oh, I mean, it's just, I mean, it is the pinnacle of everything, folks. It is the greatest thing that has ever happened. The debt of sin paid for fully, completely. The, the, the hope of eternity completely restored, you understand? And then the resurrection from the dead absolutely secured. I want you to think about that with me right now. How many of you believe that when you die, one day you will rise again from the dead? Man, that's exciting, huh? Wow, to rise from the dead is like, that's the ultimate. Come on now. You could do a reality show on that, couldn't you? You get about 15 people who have been raised from the dead and let them just tell their story. It'd sell a lot of tickets. Now, the resurrection, though, when you think about it, it's coming in the future, isn't it? I mean, we're still alive here, so we're not, we're, there's no need for us to be resurrected yet, but it's coming in the future. And, and you know, when you, when you go to a cemetery, and all of us have been there, you, you, you know, I look at gravestones all the time. I'll just kind of walk through there and look at all the different gravestones. And I always notice there's two dates on, on the tomb. It's the date of birth, and then there's the date of death. And it's always separated by a little dash. And that's really where we live right now. That's where you're living right now. You're living right in that dash. And that dash is an amazing thing. You know, somebody once said, uh, the resurrection is for the sweet by and by, but we need some power to live in the nasty now and now. I mean, isn't that right? Isn't that right? You, you need some power to live right now. I mean, uh, I, you know, my headstone's only got one date on it right now and with a dash. And so that's where we're living right now. And it's very important. Living in the dash is so important because it's really the journey of our life. And it's so important that we, we embrace the journey of our life because it's made up of things like, you know, singleness. You know, did you know that in the journey of life, you need to know how to navigate your life? Folks, never underestimate the importance of navigating your life properly so that you'll find yourself in the resurrection one day. If you're single here, man, you're going to need direction to navigate your singleness. If you're married, you surely need some, some information and instructions to navigate that. It might be your education that you need. It might be your job. It, it, could, it might be your church going that you need, you need help. It might be your death that you need some navigation in. Because don't think that things end at death. Death is just an intermediate place. There's an eternity past, there's a present now, and there's an eternity future. And so we want to make sure that we live in the dash properly. Now, when we, when we talk about this, I, I wanted to take a situation out of the Bible uh, of a family, uh, you know, and, and just kind of let you know about these people. There were, there were three of them. They, they lived together, two sisters and a brother, and they needed some help in navigating their situation. Uh, they really did. Uh, one's name was Mary. The other's name was Martha. They navigated the death of their brother, Lazarus. 
If you read your Bible, you know about this story. Maybe you don't, but you'll know when you leave here today. And uh, they had a situation. And we're going to begin in John chapter 11. And really, this is all wrapping around resurrection. In John chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary... This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped, she wiped his feet with her hair. Matter of fact, this morning, if you read in your one-year Bible, you read this story, this account right here, where Mary washed the feet of Jesus with her tears, where she anointed his feet with, with perfume. That's the same Mary. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. They didn't have to call his name. Jesus knew who they were talking The one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, I want you to understand this, that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were devoted followers of Jesus. I mean, they called for Jesus and, and, and didn't even use his name. They said, like, hey, you know, Lazarus is sick. Can you come? They said, the one you love. And so they were devout followers of Jesus. They had a relationship with Jesus, which proves to me that bad things can happen to people who love Jesus. Sometimes we think that because we love the Lord that there's not going to be tragedy strikes, there's not going to be things like this happen, but th it does happen to us. It, it happened to them. They loved him, but you know the thing about it is, is that Jesus knew them and he knew their situation. And, and I want you to understand this morning that Jesus knows you and he knows your situation. And he wants to be glorified. He was glorified in their situation. And he wants to be glorified in whatever situation you are. And if you're not in a situation, that is a situation. Because life is nothing but one big, giant circumstance that we live in. And so we need Jesus to be glorified in everything that we do. Now, Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick. Now, he must have been really sick because they wouldn't have called for Jesus unless it was very, very serious. And so Jesus hears this. And the amazing thing is that in the sixth chapter of that book of John, in the, in the sixth verse of the 11th chapter, watch what it says. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. This speaks of God's timing. Now, folks, listen. God's timing is most of the time not our timing. It just isn't. Isn't that amazing how you, you fix things up in your mind of how they ought to go and the timing that ought to take place? But yet it very seldom ever happens that way. It would be amazing if God just let us have our own timing. We would train wreck our life. For sure, teenagers would. Come on out, Impact students. Surely, I mean, we'd have an apartment at 12 years of age. We'd be driving around in our car, you know, at, at, at 10 years of age, crashing into everything. I mean, we crash into a lot of things at the age of 40. I can't imagine what would happen then. But he waited two days. I mean, he just delayed. Sometimes God just delays things. I don't know if I'd have been running the thing as soon as they as soon as they called me, I'd have got in my car on my car. On my, I would have just made my way there to help Lazarus. But yet Jesus said, "No, you know what I want to do? I want to delay this thing. The timing's not right." 
And then in the 11th verse, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, he's telling his friends, he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. See, they all knew this family. They had been in their home before. He said, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he, is, if he sleeps, he will get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep, which is normal for those guys. And I'm sure that if we would have been his disciples then, we would have been a lot cooler and sharper than they were. We would have understood everything that Jesus said. We would have never asked silly questions or said things like this, like, if he's asleep, what's up? You know, just, is he going to wake him up? He's taking a nap. Life. Life is like a puzzle, and it really is when you think about it. Now, Jan and I, we put together a lot of puzzles, you know, in the past, you know, where you clear the kitchen table off and you, you put this big giant puzzle together, you know. I really hate to put puzzles together, but I love my wife, and so <laughs> we would put puzzles together. And anyway, she was real good at it. I always had a pocket knife handy <laughs> in putting my puzzles together, because if I could just shave off that little point, it was going to fit, you know. <laughs> I'm, I, in the end, it looks kind of weird, but hey, it works. Right, guys? It works. It works. And so we'd put together puzzles. And, and like all of you, most of you, we always put together the easy part of the puzzle first, right? All the flat edges. All the, we got the border. Well, no big deal. Anybody could get the border. I mean, let's get real. It's a flat edge. <laughs> and we got the little box leaning up against the bottom of the box. You know, it's a small picture of the big picture, and you really can't see it right. So you're just muddling around, trying to move pieces around, try and try and try and try. But here our God is, and he sees the entire picture. And know this, and know this well, that, that our God knows everything about us. He knows everything that's going on. He's got the whole puzzle put together. He's got the whole picture already. He already knows what you're going to do two years from now or five years from now, and he's helping us. And he delays some time to get more glory, because let me ask you this. What would bring more glory to God? Healing a sick man or raising someone from the dead? I think raising somebody from the dead. And so they had this situation. Their brother is dead. Matter of fact, he was, he was in the tomb four days, you're going to learn. So Jesus delayed two days, so he'd already been dead two days. So watch this. The thing about when timing takes place and situations take place, there is a, there is a doubt that is always present. I don't know about you, but doubt is always on me. It's just amazing how doubt is so faithful to come up and doubt happened here in the 16th verse then thomas said to the rest of the disciples <laughs> oh thomas you know he's the one who doubted that jesus had rose from the dead and jesus had to come and talk to him say thomas put your fingers right here in my side and once he did that he believed but this is the same thomas so thomas this is what he said to the rest of the disciples let us also go that we may die with him what a statement let's ah uh, it's all done. It's, that's it. He's dead. We might as well just go over there with Lazarus and die too. I mean, he had such a doubting mentality. He had such a, a, an, an amazing doubt that deteriorated the, the strongest faith. I think if Jesus would have hung around with Thomas um, another year, Jesus might not even believe that he was the son of God. <laughs> You ever been around somebody like that? They're so negative about everything. It's like, can't get the victory, won't get the victory, don't want to talk about getting the victory. It's just, everything is gloom and doom and despair, and there's no way, but there is a way. Yes. 
Let me tell you something. Never, never, never dig up without what God has planted in faith. Don't do that. Don't dig up junk like that. This thing of doubt is an amazing thing. It really is. And then Mary. Now, Mary is the one who washed his feet. Mary is the one when Jesus was at their house. Martha's up in the kitchen there. She's, she's cooking the jambalaya. And, and Jesus is teaching in the living room. And Mary is at his feet. And Martha gets all upset and says, Jesus, won't you tell Mary to come in here and help me with this jambalaya? And Jesus says, oh, Martha, you're so worried about all that jambalaya. Just, Mary's chose the best thing. This is, was the Mary. But watch what happened here in the 20th verse. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. I mean, look, this is, this is the jambalaya cooker. This is the cook that seemingly wasn't that excited about what Jesus was teaching, but yet she runs out to meet him. And what about Mary? But Mary stayed at home. In other words, Mary just, she didn't have the enthusiasm she once had. She had sat at the feet of Jesus, but now doubt comes in, and she doesn't even go out to meet Jesus. She just stays at the house. She doesn't go out to meet him at the point of faith. And, well, we do the same thing. A situation comes that's very, very difficult to us, and what happens? The very place we ought to run to, we run away from. The very God we should run to and humble ourselves and say, I need help, we run away from. We get, it, we, get, we get stifled in our spirit. Doubt begins to eat our lunch and then all kind of things begin to happen because doubt, doubt stifles you and keeps you from the very place of victory. It really does. The place of victory was where Jesus was. She stayed at the house. Doubt depresses and doubt zaps all of your strength. Doubt is an enemy. Matter of fact, we can say doubt is sin. We have to believe the Lord for miracles and mighty things. So let's just freeze their situation right there. He's dead. He's in the tomb. Jesus has arrived. There's some doubt. There's some faith kind of moving around a little bit here and there. But what about your situation? What about your Lazarus? What about the grave? What is entombed that's so important to you that now is in a tomb? And what stone is rolled in front of that tomb? What, what, is, what, what does the stone look like? Is the stone fear? Is it apathy? Is it indifference? I mean, is it greed? Is it pride? Is it stubbornness? What's, what stone is rolled over that very thing in your life that is so, so very important? That thing like your marriage, that thing like your job, your, your, your income, the, those things that we live by, even your faith. And for some, your Jesus is still entombed behind an invisible stone that seems impossible to remove. Your Lazarus is in the grave and the grave is a cold, cold place. The grave is a place that seems hopeless, helpless, quiet and still, but it's a place where the power of God resides. It really does. The death of a vision. And it's an amazing thing that when you have a great vision for your life and then something happens that kills that vision, it seems like it's impossible. How can you recover? How can you continue? That which you've put all of your energy, your faith, your vision into for the future seems crushed, impossible to resuscitate. I want to tell you that in the death of a vision, there is life. We will live. There's life after death for the believer. 
but there's also life after the death of a vision for your life. If we run to the proper place, if we press in to the one and the only one who is able to bring sense many times to situations that seem so impossible, and this is where they were. But Jesus came, he came to the place of the tomb, he came to that place to accomplish one thing, and that was to resurrect a dead man. He wanted to rob the tomb. He wanted to come in and he wanted to say, you know what, something is different because I am here. Now, us, just like them, you're gonna, you're gonna see that the way that they operated at that tomb is the same way you must operate about anything that's entombed in your life right now or that will in the future because let me tell you something, if you live long enough on this earth, you're gonna have situations and you're gonna have death of vision and you're gonna see things that are impossible and you're gonna need help from the only one who is able to accomplish the impossible. His name is Jesus. He's the only one. So watch this. So as we look at this, we are in the 11th chapter, the 21st verse. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. She was confident that Jesus would get answered prayer. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she had that down pat. She believed in the final resurrection. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and I am the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord. She told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. The first thing, I mean, the, the major thing that we've got, to, we've got to have, we've got to settle in our heart that Jesus is Lord. You have to settle that. That has to be something that has a period at the end that says, Jesus is Lord. The reason why a person can worship God, you know, abandon him, themselves to God in worship is not because they're looking at who they are, they're looking at who Jesus is. And once you settle in your heart that Jesus is Lord, things begin to happen. See, it starts, the victory starts with a holy resolve that says Jesus is Lord. Now what don't we understand about that? It means he's supreme, he's preeminent, he's almighty, all-knowing, all-present. He's full of love and compassion and power. I mean, he's everything that we need to get victory in this life and the world to come. She said, you're Lord. She said, you, you, you're it, you're, you're it. I, I've settled that you're, yeah, you're the resurrection. That's it. Have you settled that yet in your heart? The only way to live peaceful in this chaotic life and world that we live in is to know that Jesus Christ is Lord and that one day he is gonna resurrect the righteous. That's the only thing to give you hope. Other than that, you got about another 20, 30 years, some of you five years, some of you may a day or two, and that's it. I know we don't think that I've got a day or two, but it's true. The second thing that has to take place and took place in their life, watch this, in the 38th verse, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. Now he's walking up to the tomb and he's moved, he's sighing. The Bible says he was weeping and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He said, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the 
this, the, 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 she's the sister of the dead man. She said, by this time there is a bad odor for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? The next thing that she had to cross over and you have to also, we've got to stop analyzing everything. It's just an amazing thing. Now God has gr granted us great ability and someone is saying that we only use 10% of our mind and, and that's good. And, but even if you could use 90% of your mind, you gotta stop analyzing God because God is so much larger than the greatest minds. And, and we, we always wanna try, well, what about this? Well, if this would have happened, well, what if this would have happened? We keep going, what, if, what about this? Oh, Jesus, if you'd have been here, if you'd have done that, oh no, don't touch that, don't do this. We analyze every aspect of God, but yet Jesus said we are to come to him with childlike faith. Now think about children, they don't analyze anything. You tell them something and you better do it. You promise them that you're gonna take them fishing or to Chuck E. Cheese and you better get yourself ready for that insanity at Chuck E. Cheese because they're gonna harp on you and remind you of your promise until you get in that car and go there and eat that wonderful pizza and, and have such a relaxing time in the quiet solitude of Chuck E. Cheese. I wanna know something about you. Have you been bugging Jesus about the promises that he's made to you? Are you like a little child saying, Jesus, you said we were, you said you would, you said we could, instead of trying to analyze, say, well, maybe, let's see, if I was Jesus, maybe I'm not gonna do that because of this and that, and, and oh, the, the scripture said back here and said back here, I'm gonna put these two together, they're out of context, I know, but they kind of fit. I'm not sure, I don't understand it at all. I don't know anything about Greek, but I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna study. That guy said, this internet said, that said, they said, put it all together, and then we got this, this Frankenstein scripture coming up trying to work in our life instead of just being like little children and saying, Jesus, you promised it. You analyze things, doubt will flare up and it will trump faith every time. It will trump faith every time. And, and, and I will say this to you to help you. You may not understand at times. I don't analyze, honestly, the older I've gotten in, in Christ, the less I analyze. And I have, I have come to, to embrace scripture like in, in Psalms says, be still and know that I am God. I used to have all the answers when I was a young Christian. When I was a young minister, I had every answer. Some of you came here, I had every answer. Now I have less answers, but I have more of Jesus. I must decrease and he must increase. And so when you don't have all the answers, you're in a perfect place of faith to believe God as a small child. And then the third thing that, that needs to take place that took place in their life is found in the 43rd verse. When he had said this, roll, roll that stone away. I just love Jesus. Roll that stone away. Yeah, but Lord, just roll the stone away. Just roll it away. So you can imagine a bunch of guys got on that stone and rolled it away. It only took an earthquake and a couple of angels to roll the stone away from the grave of Jesus. But here they rolled the stone away, and this is, what, this is what Jesus said. He said in a loud voice. That means he must have hollered down up in that grave. He said, Lazarus, come out. He said, come out, and the dead man came out. I mean, instantly, he walked out of the tomb. But, you know, it says here that his hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth, <laughs> a cloth was over his head. Isn't that amazing? 
It was around his face. So he's got his feet tied up. His hands are tied up. He's got a cloth around his feet. He, he must have just kind of hobbled to the, to the entranceway. And he's standing there. He's just standing there. And Jesus is looking at him. Jesus knows he's alive. And then you know what Jesus said? Take off the grave clothes and let him go. I like the old King James version, though. He says, loose him and let him go. Well, that preached a lot better than take off the clothes and, and let him go. It's like, loose him and let him go. He just hollered. He said, let no words, get to work, guys, and help this man who's in the midst of resurrection get fully free. Because sometimes we come alive in Jesus, but we all tangled up with grave clothes, stuff from our past life, things that are going on. And Jesus says, I've raised you from the dead. Now get some help from your friends so that they can take the grave clothes off you, so that you can walk where you need to walk, so that you can touch what you need to touch, so that you can see what you need to see. This is where Jesus is. He just said, come out, man. He came, you know, he came out with a loud voice. I love you, he just screamed out. And I'm just wondering, well, when, when, when are you getting ready to scream into the grave of your life and tell whatever it is to come out? Maybe it's hope. Maybe you just need to scream, hope, come out. Maybe, maybe you need to say, victory, come out. Maybe it's joy, come out. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your job. Maybe your faith needs to rise up. And though you're like Jesus, you're groaning in your spirit, you're weeping, but yet when he got to the place of resurrection, he stood up and he released the power of God and resurrected a man. I believe the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And I believe he's going to quicken our mortal body on the day of resurrection. But I believe also he quickens us now. He brings us alive now. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. Not, not he's going to, he's resurrecting me now. Things that seem so dead, he's resurrecting. He's doing a wonderful job also to be completely free. How many of you believe that Lazarus, when he came out of the grave, he had a different perspective on life. We're not going to read it, but you know what? They got so mad at Jesus for raising Lazarus from the dead that they wanted to arrest Jesus and kill him, and they also wanted to kill Lazarus. Boy, that's something. To, you're raised from the dead, and now they want to kill you again. <laughs> the devil never lets up, does he? I mean, they just want to kill him again. The thing about the thing that is resurrected, and this is something that you need to be ready for in this life right here because it's going to happen in the life to come, is that what comes out of the grave many times does not look like anything that went into the grave. Jesus, when he came out of the grave, he did not look like he did when he went into the grave. Mary, who loved him, who knew him personally, didn't recognize him. She thought he was a gardener. The two, the two disciples of Jesus on the road to Emmaus, he walked right alongside of them. They didn't ever recognize him. I mean, when, when he was uh, out in the water and he talked to the disciples on the shore, they said, is that, I'm not sure that's the Lord. It might be the Lord, I'm not sure. You need to be ready that that which goes into the grave and dies, what comes out might be totally different. I can guarantee you one thing, if, you're, if your marriage is in the grave, if you let Jesus breathe on you together, now it takes two, he will resurrect your marriage and your marriage will not look like anything it looked like when it went into the grave. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, where the Apostle Paul spends a lot of time talking about the resurrection of this body. He said what goes into the grave is going to be different than what comes out of the grave. He said you put a seed in the ground, it comes out a tree. He said in these bodies that die, he said we, we, we sow them as a, as a physical, natural body. They are raised a spiritual body. They are sown in weakness and they are raised in power. So there's a difference there. It's not going to be the same, man. Look, in the resurrection, things are going to change. They're going to be good, but they're going to change. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know that my mama's going to be my mama. It won't matter who my mama is. Jesus said, who are my mothers and who are my brothers? All those who know and do the will of God. They are my sisters and my brothers and my mother. It says in the resurrection, you'll never marry nor be given in marriage, but we'd be like the angels. So when me and Jan get to heaven, I think we're just going to be good friends. <laughs> I'm not sure, babe. What do you think? I mean, that's what it says. Why? Because in the presence of Jesus, everything else melts into this wonderful ocean of love and power and grace and eternity, and it's going to look different than it looks now. Yes. Now, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about us being reconciled to God. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That's Jesus. That's you. And then in the 17th verse, it says, if any person is in Christ. In other words, if any person gives themselves to Jesus fully, if any person really believes, if any person surrenders themselves totally to Jesus and his teachings, they are a new creation. They are something that never existed before. That means that we who were dead in trespasses and sin, and everybody is, by the way, everybody has, needed to be resurrected. And when we were resurrected as we believed in what Jesus paid for at the cross, we came out of the tomb a totally different person. And when you come out of the tomb let me tell you something. You never, ever live the same way you did before you died and went in there. You hear what I'm saying? If any man is in Christ, he's a brand new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new, and all things are of God who has reconciled us by the blood of Jesus. Come on now. Isn't that great? That's wonderful. That's what the resurrection's all about. So I would say this, that you need to be resurrected now if you ever hope to have resurrection on the day that Jesus calls everybody to account. Amen? Let's bow our heads together. Come on, just take a few moments on this Easter Sunday. Maybe you don't normally think about God, but just set your heart on God right now, his goodness, his love, his kindness. Set your, set your mind, think about all what he's paid for you. Look, folks, you're just like I was. I didn't care about God. I cursed God. I didn't believe in God, much less in his son Jesus who died for my sins. But a day came where he began to deal with me, and I made a choice to follow him, the best choice ever made in my whole life. And so is he dealing with all of mankind. And in this room right now, he's dealing with people. And in that road that you're sitting on, he's, he's dealing with people. And in that chair where you are, he's dealing with you.
You came to church on Easter Sunday. Jesus has come to the tomb of your life and he's calling forth dead things to rise again. I want you to put a name on the body that's in the tomb. For some of you, you're believers, but there are things that have died in your life. You want them to come out in Jesus' name. Look, if you're a couple in here and your marriage is in trouble and it's just lying in a cold tomb, no fire left, no breath, won't you just grab the hand of that person, your spouse right there. Put your arm around that woman, man, and say, we're gonna resurrect this marriage today in Jesus' name. Some of you, it's your job. You hate your job. Why don't you let God resurrect a new job for you? Just begin to believe God and move out in faith. To some, it's your health. You have to believe God for healing, his promise of healing through the cross. Those are all benefits of believers. But then some of you, it's you, your life, your spirit is laying in a grave. The world has rolled a stone over the front of it. It seems impassable, impossible. But yet God is doing something right now and I, say, I, I just see the stone rolling away. Jesus rolled the stone away and the entrance is clear for you to come out of deadness and trespass and sin to life in Christ and ultimately eternal life. If that's you, if you sitting in that chair realize that you're not connected to Jesus, that your life is dead, you don't know God, but you want to. You want to. You want to come out of that thing and you want to serve him. I want to give you an opportunity right now to receive Jesus. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if that's you, you say, I want to serve the Lord starting today. God has convicted me. I want you to just raise your hand up and put it right back down. You're in this room right now. Just let the Lord touch you. There's a hand there. Thank you. Yes, right here. Thank you. There's one over here. Thank you. Yes, here and here and here. You can't be afraid. Come on, right over there. Thank you. Here is Jesus standing at the tomb of your life, giving you opportunity to come out. Doubt must leave in the name of Jesus. Fear must go in the name of Jesus so that you can be made whole. Anyone else, just shoot your hand up if you haven't and say, me, Lord, right here. Thank you. Say, me, I need a new life. Thank you there, yes. So many people need Jesus. Over to my right, people just raising their hands. Thank you, Lord. So right now, if you raised your hand, and even if you didn't, but your heart is open to God, you probably fear you might be new in this room and you don't know what if, what about that. Look, just open your heart up to the Lord. This is your chance. I want to help you pray. I want you to say a simple prayer after me. Just repeat what I'm getting ready to say. Jesus is listening to you. And he's going to resurrect your life right now. Just say these simple words. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the resurrection, that you died for my sin, and that you're living for me now. 
I receive you right now as my Lord and Savior. I thank you for forgiving me, for paying my debt and giving me your life. I love you, Lord, and now you're mine, and I'm yours, and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen, and amen, and amen. Come on. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor, Van DeCote, wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.